Hey, we're excited to get in God's word. It's an honor to be with all of you. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Proverbs? If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we began a new series, a volume two series through the book of Proverbs that we've entitled Wisdom for Life. And I love the book of Proverbs. I don't know about you. I love Proverbs in general because they pack a punch. They're powerful. They get straight to the point. And um, the book of Proverbs for us gives us incredible insight into what it looks like to live a life full of godly wisdom. And that's important, amen? Who needs wisdom today? Come on, raise your hand. I do. Look, we could get worldly wisdom if we wanted. We could get street wisdom. But we know that the wisdom of the world is faulty. It does not bear lasting fruit. Um, so if we want to live lives full of wisdom, wisdom that lasts, uh, lives that make impact for the kingdom of God, then we find wisdom here from the heart of God in the book of Proverbs. And so I'm excited to dive into God's word with all of you today. We're going to be in chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs. And right now we're in a little bit of a mini series within a series in the book of Proverbs. We are doing a deep dive into the fear of the Lord. And so today we're going to do part two on the fear of the Lord. I'm super excited. Last week, Pastor Rob kicked things off. Who was here last week? Raise your hand. Come on, he did a great job. It was a great message. If you missed it, go check it out online. It's important for us to understand that the fear of the Lord, that phrase, it's an important phrase. It's a major theme, actually, in the book of Proverbs. When you read the book of Proverbs, you will see the fear of the Lord many, many, many times. And today we're going to continue our deep dive into what it means. How does it apply to our lives? Last week, Pastor Rob kicked off this little mini series and we discovered that beautiful truth that the beginning of wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, well, today we're going to continue and what we're going to discover is that not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of the Lord is setting a course for my life. The fear of the Lord is setting a trajectory for my life. The fear of the Lord is leading me somewhere. So let's discover what that means here in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. Let's read our text together today. Verse 23 reads, the fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, as we approach your holy, perfect word, we recognize that you are behind every word found in this book. Holy Spirit, you have inspired every word. And we also recognize that you're here today. You have blessed us with your presence. So we humble ourselves before you. We ask that you would open our ears and open our eyes to hear from you and to see Jesus, that we would leave this place today having an encounter with you, having been transformed into the image of Christ for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before we dive in and kind of unpack this proverb today, Proverbs nineteen twenty three, I want us to address this question, what is the fear of the Lord? Because that's kind of an interesting phrase, is it not? The fear of the Lord or fearing God. There's a big name clothing brand called fear of God. Like what is the fear of the Lord? If you're new to the Bible, 
If you're new to, to church, this might strike you as a bit odd. So let's, let's address it. First, I want to you know, read a quote to you from the great Oswald Chambers. I love this. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Then A.W. Tozer said it like this, a frightened world needs a fearless church. Come on, somebody, that's good. We could just go home right now. A frightened world needs a fearless church. So we need to understand as we approach, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Okay, it's not the same thing as being afraid of God. So when you first approach this phrase, the fear of the Lord or the fear of God, it almost seems at first, as if it would suggest being afraid of him, like resulting in a life of cold-hearted submission and anxiousness, like a kind of killjoy existence, right? But that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, what the book of Proverbs so beautifully illustrates for us is that true flourishing, true living, like the abundant life, is actually found when we live in the fear of the Lord. The good life, the life that Jesus talked about, I've come that they would have life, that they would have it abundantly. Ah, that kind of life is experienced when we live in the fear of the Lord. So so what what does this mean? Well, the fear of the Lord by nature is simply being overwhelmed by the reality of who God is. The greatness of who God is. As Psalm 69 verse 9 says, that we worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. We come to recognize that God is holy. He is transcendent. Fearing God or living in the fear of the Lord, it leads me to recognize who God is. And like Pastor Rob so beautifully illustrated last week, the fear of the Lord is like a coin with two sides. So stick with me here. On one side of the coin of the fear of the Lord, we see that God is holy, that he is transcendent, that he is majestic, that he is glorious and beautiful, that he is the creator and sustainer of all things, that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the supreme righteous judge over all of the earth. But all of who he is is connected to the other side of the coin, that he's all of those things and yet he is merciful and kind and abounding in steadfast love. He is gracious. He is good toward us. So what we discover in this beautiful truth of the fear of the Lord is that God is transcendent and yet imminent. He is holy He dwells in unapproachable light and yet he has invited us to come close to who he is because of his goodness, mercy, and grace. Come on, somebody give an amen this morning. That is just, come on, that's so good. So what are are we talking about here? God's holiness and his transcendence, who he is, must be viewed and understood through the lens of his goodness, mercy, and grace and love for us and vice versa. 
His goodness, mercy, grace, and love for us must be understood and viewed through the lens of his holiness and his transcendence. What am I talking about here? If we only exalt the holiness and the transcendence of God, then we will live a life of cold-hearted submission. We will be afraid of God. And then if we only exalt his goodness, mercy, love, and kindness, then we will create an idol, a weak God. Who God is must be understood through his holiness, his transcendence, and his goodness, mercy, and love toward us. Amen? Amen. So the fear of the Lord is very dynamic. We got to understand the fear of the Lord doesn't push us away. It draws us in. Fear of the Lord does not push me away. It draws us in. It invites us to come close and to discover all of who God is and how he's revealed himself to us and the life, the abundant life that he offers to you and me. Like Timothy Keller puts it, we discover through the fear of the Lord that God is fearfully beautiful. I love that. And as we see here in our text today, the fear of the Lord is leading us somewhere. The fear of the Lord is setting a course for my life. So if you're taking down notes, point number one this morning is this. Living in the fear of the Lord positions us to experience a life of flourishing. Living in the fear of the Lord positions us to experience a life of flourishing. Notice with me again, verse 23. Let's read it together. The fear of the Lord, everybody say it leads. Now pause right there. This is huge. I know I've already mentioned this, but living in the fear of the Lord is leading me somewhere. It's setting a course for my life. So track with me as I live in deep reverential awe of who God is, as I am drawn in by his goodness, mercy, grace, and love, My life is heading in a certain direction. So the fear of the Lord, it leads, but where does it lead? Our text says to life. Everybody say life. Life. Now the idea here behind life is not speaking of biological life, but rather a certain quality of life. Check this out. The Hebrew word here in verse 23 for life is the Hebrew word chaya. And it speaks of flourishing. Listen to this definition. That which is green, fresh and flowing like a river, live and active, regenerating like the springtime. Come on, somebody. That sounds good, does it not? The fear of the Lord is leading me to chaya. It is leading me to a place of flourishing. It is leading me to a place of regeneration, of new life. Now that's powerful. As we encounter this truth here in Proverbs 19, verse 23, I can't help but think of one of the most famous Psalms of David. Psalm 23 David is writing in Psalm 23, and what does he say? He says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. And then he leads me beside the what? 
still waters. And I love this. He restores my soul. I believe these passages go hand in hand because this is the heart of our God. This is the heart of our good shepherd, that we would be led to a place of flourishing. We would be led to a place of regeneration, of new life. Notice with me, this passage does not say that the fear of the Lord leads me to religion. It doesn't say that the fear of the Lord leads me to more fear or that the fear of the Lord leads me to fundamentalism or pragmatism. It doesn't say that the fear of the Lord leads me to a place of cold heartedness or bitterness or lifeless obedience. No, the fear of the Lord positions me to experience a life of flourishing. You know, I think we would all agree that when we look at the world around us, we look at the culture around us, there are many who are searching for life. They are searching for satisfaction, but they are doing so apart from the fear of the Lord. And they always come up dry. Many people in our world, many people in our culture are pursuing a life, a satisfaction that only God can give. They are rejecting the very giver of life. Some of you here in this room today, that is a part of your testimony, is it not? You've been there before. You've pursued your own passions, your own desires, your own goals, your own wants, and it only left you high and dry. Some of you in this room, you're in that place right now. And God is reaching out to you today. He's offering to you a better way. Instead of living in the fear of the Lord, these people, they make themselves their own God. They make themselves their own Lord. They pursue their own dreams and desires. They chase worldly things and pleasure. They chase the moment instead of the everlasting life that God can give. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rob talked about Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. Do you remember that teaching? In the book of Proverbs, we discover an illustration of Lady Folly. And she's painted as this temptress who is calling out like a siren to seduce. And although her song might sound pretty and her words might sound nice, ultimately she is leading you to destruction. Versus Lady Wisdom, who calls out, who invites us to experience a thriving, real, right relationship with God. You see, our world is full of people who hear the cry of Lady Folly. They're pursuing momentary satisfaction, temporary pleasure, and the result is that they always come up dry. Tell me why, church, do the richest and quote-unquote prettiest and most successful people in the world always seem to be the most miserable? Tell me why. Why is the divorce rate in Hollywood so high? Why do these people who have the quote-unquote good life turn to drugs and alcohol to numb the quote-unquote pain they have? It's because the world, the life that the world offers isn't life at all. There is only life, chaya, found in God. And that's what this proverb is talking about. 
A biblical example of this would be the rich young ruler. We see him in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Check this out. What does the rich young ruler do? Well, he comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I really want to follow you. Like, I really want to follow you. I really want to be, I want to do it. I want to do it, Lord. And Jesus is like, well, then get, go, give all, go give everything you have away to the poor. And what do we see happen with the rich young ruler? He says he walked away from Jesus sad because he had many possessions. Tell me, how does that work? How could you walk away sad because you have so much stuff? It's because there is a life that can only be found in right relationship with God. You see, the folly of the rich young ruler is that he deemed his possessions, he deemed his momentary satisfaction as being more pleasurable, more fulfilling than a relationship with God, more fulfilling than following Jesus. And he left Jesus saddened, disappointed, disillusioned. An Old Testament example of this would be the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet to the people of Judah. And it's recorded in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. Jeremiah is speaking as the mouthpiece of God. And he says this to the nation of Judah. He says, it'll be on the screen. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What is Jeremiah's point here? Jeremiah saw that the people of God had rejected God. They chose not to live in the fear of the Lord, but rather to turn their backs to him. And instead they chose to seek life-giving satisfaction from other things. And what was the result? Broken cisterns, like cisterns that can't hold water. They can't quench the thirst. They couldn't hold, they couldn't deliver. Because we know this church, often what presents itself in life as life-giving and satisfying comes up empty and dry time after time. There is a life that only God can give, a satisfaction, rest, and regeneration that is only found in right relationship with God. And when we fear, when we live in the fear of the Lord, we position ourselves to experience it. Point number two, if you're taking down notes, living in the fear of the Lord produces deep abiding satisfaction and contentment. Come on, who wants some deep abiding satisfaction and contentment today? Our proverb continues here and it reads this. Let's read in verse 23 again. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And then what's the second phrase here? And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Now hang with me here for a moment. Now that English phrase, he who has it will abide, is the Hebrew word loon. Everyone say loon. Check this out. Are you ready? This is beautiful. That Hebrew word means to pass the night in safety. And then that word for satisfaction is the Hebrew word shavaya, and it means satisfied and abounding. So what do I bring these words up? The second phrase here in Proverbs 19.23 literally says that those who fear the Lord will spend the night content, satisfied and abounding. Meaning that God is like a haven for the storm tossed of life. You can find rest in God. I like how the Christian Standard Bible translates verse 23 the fear of the Lord leads to life, 
and one will sleep at night without danger. So again, the fear of the Lord is leading me somewhere. We've seen that it leads me to a life of flourishing. And now we see that it leads to deep abiding satisfaction, a life of contentment that is stilled and safe in the love of God, like a night of deep undisturbed sleep for the tempest tossed and seasick of life. You know, never in my life would I have ever thought that I would crave sleep as much as I do right now. When I became a parent, it changed everything, right? I have two kids and I love them, but you know, they tell you before you become a parent, they tell you a lot of things, right? But you don't really know until you know, you know, like you don't know. You don't know what it's like when you're, you know, having to deal with a, a, a screaming child in the middle of the night and you're like half asleep. Gosh, it's crazy. So why, why do I bring this up? Well, there are times where I just, I crave a nap. I remember as a kid, you know, it'd be like nap time. Mom and dad, like, Pete, come to bed. You need a nap. And you'd resist it. And now I'm like praying for it. I'm going, I'm going home today after three Sunday services, like, God, please provide a nap. Like, the way maker, miracle, give me a nap, Lord. Come on. Shut all the lights out. You know, it's like, I want to go to sleep. COVID, COVID changed a lot of things. We used to only have two services. Now we have three. And I'm telling you, 8 a.m., first service at 8 a.m. I mean, I love those. For, I mean, I love first service, but man, come on, 8 a.m. <laughs> like, anyways, I'm kind of joking here. But in all seriousness, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because rest is important, amen? Sleep is important. And what this proverb is pointing us to is that when we live in the fear of the Lord, we will experience a soul rest, a soul rest, like rest in our souls, the deepest part of who we are. It reminds me of the story that's recorded in Mark chapter four of Jesus and his disciples on the boat. You know this story. They're on the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden a storm arises out of nowhere. And the disciples are freaking out, like they're fishermen, okay? And they're freaking out. It's a serious storm. And what is Jesus doing? Sleeping. We see in Mark 4 that Jesus has rested his head on a pillow and is sleeping through in the middle of a storm. And it's like, what? So it begs us to ask the question, how is he able to sleep? How is he able to rest assured in the middle of the storm? Obviously, we know that Jesus is God, so, you know, it's not a big deal for him. But in this story, I think we see a beautiful example of what it means practically to live in the fear of the Lord. You could say that the waves that were over the disciples' heads were under the feet of the Heavenly Father. Jesus could sleep on the boat that day because he knew who was in control. He trusted in his Father's plan. He knew that this storm was nothing. So he could rest. And that kind of rest, that kind of soul rest in the midst of trouble is available to you and me. And it's found in the fear of the Lord. When we can be in the most dire, uncomfortable circumstances in life and yet be contented and stilled. Because we know who we belong to. We know how big our heavenly papa's muscles are, so to speak. Nothing 
nothing is impossible for him. So not only do we experience a soul rest and contentment in the fear of the Lord, but we also experience a quality of contentment. I'm calling it the quality of contentment. What do I mean? Look, when we live our lives overwhelmed by the reality of who God is, we recognize that he is holy and transcendent yet imminent. The small minuscule issues of life don't matter, do they? Like the small little issues of life, we don't have to be stressed about because our God is so big, right? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing that my God can't do. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies and the flowers of the field. They're not stressed out. They're not worried. Your heavenly father provides for them. What is Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He's taking his disciples' attention off themselves, off their situation, and putting their attention and focusing their attention on God. He points to the glory of creation. And we know that the glory of creation reflects the glory of God, amen? So Jesus is saying, look, your heavenly father clothes the flowers of the field. Your heavenly father feeds the birds of the air. So why are you stressed out? Why are you so worried? You are of far more value to him. He says the same thing to you and I today. You are of much more value to your heavenly father. He sees you. He sees your needs. He knows what you're wrestling with right now as you're sitting in these seats. He knows what you're struggling with and he cares for you. So in the fear of the Lord, we can experience a quality of contentment. I can be content because the little, small, minuscule matters of life can't compare to the glory of our heavenly father. You know, there's a contrast in the book of Proverbs between those who fear the Lord and those who don't fear the Lord. What we see when we read this book is that those who do not fear the Lord live in a constant state of anxiety, dissatisfaction, and discontentment every single time. Whereas those who do fear the Lord experience a deep abiding rest and satisfaction in their relationship with God, stilled and contented in the love of God. So do you want contentment today? Can I preach to you for a second? Stop living for what you want and start pursuing what God wants. Live in the fear of the Lord. Hey, instead of focusing on getting what you want, why don't you start focusing on doing what God wants? Sorry. Anyways, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to any of you. David Guzik puts it like this when he's commenting on this proverb. He says, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all three of them, all three of those punks, they want to convince us that a life founded on the fear of the Lord leads to misery. But the opposite is true. It brings satisfaction and it keeps us from a future of evil. That leads me to my third and final point this morning with all of you. Living in the fear of the Lord protects us from evil. So we've seen that living in the fear of the Lord positions us to experience a life of flourishing. Living in the fear of the Lord provides a deep or produces rather a deep abiding satisfaction and contentment. And then finally, living in the fear of the Lord protects us from evil. Notice this last phrase of Proverbs 19.23 
We'll just read the whole proverb together. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Now listen, this is not saying that bad things won't happen. Because bad things happen all the time. Amen? (laughs) They happen. We've all experienced it. This is not saying that Christians won't experience heartache or difficulty. Actually, the words of our rabbi, Jesus, our teacher, our Lord and Savior said that in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen? So this verse does not promise us that we won't have difficulty or trouble in this life. Rather, this verse points us to the fact that when the child of God experiences heartache, pain, and suffering, their soul remains contented and stilled in the love of God. It doesn't say that we won't experience trouble, only that trouble will not overthrow our contentment. I believe that this final portion of verse 23 has more to do with right living, like righteous living. So track with me here. When we live in the fear of the Lord, it leads us to properly order our lives. We make the right lifestyle decisions. And these decisions lead to an avoidance of evil. Remember, the fear of the Lord is leading me somewhere, leads to flourishing, leads to deep abiding satisfaction and contentment. And here, and this is a very important part of this proverb, it leads us away from evil. It protects us from evil. So it begs us to ask the question, well, how does fearing the Lord protect us from evil? How do we avoid evil? Check this out. Listen, when I fear God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna replace that word fear with revere, okay? When I revere God, I revere his word. I revere his self-disclosure to mankind. Like how he has revealed who he is, what he says and what he wants. So when I fear God, when I revere God, I revere his word. When I revere his word, I come to understand his will. And then I revere his way. And that leads me to order my life accordingly because I want to please him. I want to live my life how he has prescribed life to be lived. Therefore, the fear of the Lord leads to the avoidance of evil. Are you tracking with me? We live in the fear of the Lord and suddenly we're not making stupid decisions. We are avoiding sin. We are avoiding unnecessary evil because we understand who God is, what he has said, what his will is, and how we should live it out. That's what this part of verse 23 is talking about. Suddenly our lives become our worship to God, Our submission and obedience is lived out and then our soul experiences the rest and contentment that is found in our relationship with him. David wrote about this in Psalm 18. He's at a really difficult place in life. Saul is hunting him down. King Saul, Israel's first king, wants to have David killed. He's been betrayed. It's horrible. And David writes this in Psalm 18, 21. You can listen to it. David says, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. David was living in the fear of the Lord. We see this in his life, right? 
David feared the Lord so much that he decided not to take the several opportunities he had to knock off Saul. (laughs) He said, well, how could I touch the Lord's anointed one? Because David respected and revered God, God's will and God's way and trusted in his timing. So he did not turn away from God to follow evil. And then in Psalm 19, David writes again in verses seven through eight, he says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. When I live in the fear of the Lord, I come to revere his word, I discover his will, I revere his way, and I order my life accordingly, and evil is avoided. I'm protected from evil. The fear of the Lord is leading me somewhere. How many of you love the ocean? Raise your hand. Love the beach. Come on. Southern, summertime in Southern California. So good. I love the beach. Enjoy surfing. I love the water recreation. So fun, right? So I want to illustrate this for you. The fear of the Lord by way of the ocean. We know living here in Southern California and frequenting the beach that the ocean is incredibly powerful and dynamic, right? It has unseen currents. We've seen it when there's winter storms. It's powerful. It's mysterious. And it should be approached wisely and with caution, right? We don't just let like our toddlers wander into the water. <laughs> that, would be, that would be stupid. You could say that we live in the fear of the ocean here in Southern California. I mean, we have placed lifeguards on beaches because of this, because we recognize that the ocean is to be approached with caution and wisdom. We have a healthy respect and awe of the ocean's beauty and power. And at the same time, though, we can experience its benefits, right? We can enjoy it. We can play in it. We can find rest and tranquility in it. But in order for us to enjoy all that the ocean has to offer, we must first understand its power and how to properly approach it. We come to recognize what the ocean is, what it can do, and then we order our actions accordingly with the intention of enjoying it safely, right? Now, this parallels to our relationship with God in a a very similar way, but obviously our relationship with God is far more holy. We approach God in reverence because we recognize who he is and what he can do, that he is powerful, that he is dynamic. We approach him with reverence and awe and wonder so that we can enjoy all that his goodness, mercy, and grace has to offer The fear of the Lord then leads me to a place of life that is ordered properly according to God's will and God's way, not my will and not my way. A life of flourishing and contentment. And ultimately evil is avoided. Sin is avoided and my soul is at rest. So let me ask you today, do you want to live a life of flourishing? Do you want to live a life of satisfaction? It's found in the fear of the Lord. 
Do you want to live a life of contentment and stillness? It's found in the fear of the Lord. It is found in revering him, his will and his way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back on stage and the prayer team to come forward as well. Because I believe that the most appropriate way for us to respond to a message like this is with an attitude of worship and praise to the glory of God, recognizing who he is. So this is my challenge to you today. First and foremost, if you don't have a relationship with God, with the one who made you, created everything, creator and sustainer, then I encourage you today to cry out to him and to enter into a relationship with him. And then for all of us here who are believers and followers of Jesus, my encouragement to you is this, renew your reverence today. Renew your reverence toward God today. This week, renew your reverence toward God. Renew it. When you're at work this week, and it's stressful when you're dealing with your kids this week and it's difficult when life and the circumstances of life feel like that storm in Mark chapter four and the waves are rising and the wind is blowing, my encouragement is to renew your reverence toward God. Recognize and realize who he is, what he has said, and then order your life accordingly. And I believe you will experience blessing. You will experience peace, contentment, and stillness in your relationship with God. I'm going to end with, again, just reminding us of those incredible quotes from Oswald and A.W. Tozer. Oswald again says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And Tozer, a frightened world needs a fearless church. There is a world around us right now, church, that needs to see a better way. And we have the keys to unlock that wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your word that never returns void. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good shepherd that leads us to a life of flourishing, green pastures and still waters. You restore us, Lord. I pray for those today who need restoring, that right now by your spirit, you would restore them, touch them, and comfort them. Remind them of who you are and what you've done for them. Lord, for those here today, maybe online that feel stressed out and anxious, Lord, would you remind them that you are a faithful father who is able to provide. There's nothing that is impossible for you. Lord, for those here today or watching online that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, would you reveal yourself to, to them as Lord and Savior? A God who is holy and transcendent and yet imminent, who has come close and drawn near Would they draw near to you today by the cry of their hearts? We worship you, Lord. Now we turn to you in an attitude of praise, attitude of worship to give you the glory and honor that you deserve. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen.